This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm PWI senior writer Al Castle. Joined as always, back from Las Vegas, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm still catching up on my sleep. It was a wild time in Vegas. It looked like you had a heck of a good time. Oh, man. The stories that I could tell you were good, but the stories that I can't tell you were so much better. You sound like uh, the godfather at the at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a good uh, good description. Yes. In and fact, also joining us this week is PWI contributor... Kevin McIlvaney, I think the last time we had you on, Kevin, was when we did the PWI poll last year, and sure enough, that's what we're doing uh, again this episode, and good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Good to be here. Yes. So, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be taking the PWI poll once again. Dan's been putting it together for the next issue of PWI, the August issue, that comes out um, actually in just a few weeks. The digital edition goes on sale May 5th. And it hits the newsstands on May 31st. We're going to, we don't know what Dan's going to be asked. Um, so Kevin and I are going to be giving our honest opinions on some of the hottest questions. And then also later in the show, uh, speaking of polls, we got a very polarizing figure. And that's uh, Vince Russo. I caught up with him last week. We talked for quite a while. This will probably be part one of a two-part interview. Uh, a lot to deal with. Uh, I don't have to tell you how controversial Vince Russo can be and certainly was in this interview. Uh, but I think what was enlightening for me was I, I ended up agreeing with him a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and I think beneath a lot of that brash bravado, there is a lot of fundamental old school wrestling thinking, which is kind of a shocking thing to say about Vince Russo. But you should just definitely check out the, the interview. And he's talking about his own podcast on podcast one. Uh, so we'll get to that in a bit. First, as I mentioned, uh, the August issue of PWI comes out pretty soon. Right now, you can still pick up the June issue featuring AJ Styles on the cover and the annual report cards uh, put together by Dan. And we've got a lot more in that issue, a press conference interview with Ray Mysterio Jr. Uh, we've got a feature on TNA and uh, where do they go from here now that they're on pop? Certainly topical, giving some of the the, uh, the news of the last week or two. Uh, features on Roderick Strong and New Japan and so much more. Uh, the thing to do is go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. You can buy a single issue if you like. You can subscribe for several issues. You could subscribe to the print edition, the digital edition, whatever you like. Uh, whatever you do, you're sure to get a deep discount off the cover price uh, by going to pwi online dot com and uh as i said the august issue is going to feature the pwi poll also uh very recently i wrapped up a pretty long form interview with tna champ drew galloway that'll be in the next issue and i'm sure we've got uh, a lot more surprises uh that we'll be talking about in the next couple weeks so go to pwi-online.com and pick it up and follow us on twitter at official pwi find us on facebook uh, what else should they do? They should go to iTunes and check out the PWI podcast archives and subscribe while you're there and uh, drop us a line here, PWI podcast at outlook.com. So Dan, uh, one of the, the thankless tasks you have each year is 
harassing a bunch of subscribers, uh, some of the very <laughs> ones I'm trying to win over here with your PWI poll. Why don't you tell yeah. me a bit about how that's going this year? Well, we got it done right before WrestleMania. So uh, basically, we're, we're doing the poll, conducting a random sampling of some of our subscribers, both to the print magazine and the digital edition, and uh, contacting them with 50 questions. And uh, then what we do is put together those results as our annual PWI poll. Basically, a kind of quick barometer, a, a look at um, you know the perspectives of the fans on the state of the wrestling industry. And uh, we've been doing it for at least well the pwi poll goes back at least 15 or 20 years sure, but sure. before that it used to be the insiders poll where we would contact uh wrestlers and and retired wrestlers and people within the wrestling community it's kind of interesting now to really kind of get the fan perspective and especially the pwi um subscriber perspective and see how that differs a little bit from you know the the responses we used to receive from the the insiders so to speak so uh again we're not giving away any results here um and i think dan is still tabulating them uh so we don't have the results to give uh but rather we're going to be taking the poll ourselves so we're going to be the ones being harassed by dan um <laughs> and going to give our honest opinions here and and dan could give a sense whether or not uh, our our picks are in line with what you're hearing from fans. Uh, so take it away. All right, sure. Well, I'm just going to go with a few questions and kind of get your thoughts and, and see if you're, like you said, in line with what our subscribers and our panelists were thinking. Uh, one of the questions that we do every year, and, and the winner for many years always ended up being uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. Uh, and now with his retirement, this one's kind of wide open. And it's uh, one of the cornerstones of the PWI poll. It is, who is, pound for pound, the best wrestler in the world? So regardless of size, regardless of anything else, who do you think is really the top guy in the wrestling industry today? And uh, Kevin, what do you think about that? I had a feeling you might ask that one. I was thinking about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think I'm actually going to go with AJ Styles. Even after all these years, I think just with the, the change in his career, now the big step finally going to WWE, I think... I mean, there's tremendous trajectory there. I mean, maybe it didn't start out as, you know, as more of a whimper than a bang um, with the loss at WrestleMania. But I don't, I think the next year is going to be really big for him. And of course, he still has all of the, uh, all of the ingredients. I mean, he's certainly still phenomenal. And I think you have to give it to him. Okay. Al, what's, uh, what's your opinion? Yeah, I got to go uh, also with AJ Styles. Also a question I, I anticipated uh, being asked. I, I I bet there are some non-WWE names and even non-TNA and even non-ROH and maybe even non-New Japan names that are uh, in the running because there's such a wealth of um, a really high-quality talent on, on the independent scene right now uh, with guys like Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr., um, but I, I do think AJ Styles being long regarded as uh, uh, one of the best, if not the best in the world. And, and when Daniel Bryan was around, they were really neck and neck. And now Bryan uh, being retired, I think AJ kind of stands on top of that mountain by himself. And again, as great as some of those guys and other promotions are, he's WWE and that's the show. And, um, you know, Kevin touched on it. I don't think we've seen the very best of AJ Styles in WWE, um, but, you know, I think his work in New Japan is still fresh on a lot of people's minds, as well it should be, and Ring of Honor, and he, you know, by no means has he been a slouch in WWE, he's probably even not being uh, 100% of the AJ Styles we know is probably better than anybody else 
in WWE right now in terms of the performances he's put forth. Uh, so yeah, that's my very long-winded way of saying AJ Styles. Well, let me say this, and, and again, you know, I'm not wanting to give away all of the results, but uh, in, in this one, uh, you guys are very much in line with the fan vote. Uh, AJ Styles definitely had a lot of support in that category, so you're right along those lines, and and he was the uh, the, the clear favorite in this this category this year. Although, although Al, as you mentioned, um, there was a lot of um, independence, a lot of people from kind of off the mainstream radar who who uh, made names for themselves in this category. Will Ospreay is one who didn't become one of the top finalists, but I really think that had we conducted this poll three weeks later, kind of after WrestleMania weekend, I think that he would have placed higher, uh, which is an interesting thing because the timing of this poll every year is, is always a, a it, I don't want to say a challenge, but it's a factor. For example, and this is the next question I'll ask, um, who is the most promising star in NXT? And I will say this, when this poll was conducted, um, Sami Zayn was still considered a NXT wrestler as opposed to being on the WWE main roster. And that's another one that changed so significantly over WrestleMania weekend. He went from NXT to really being a, a world title contender in WWE. Uh, but Zayn notwithstanding for the purpose of this call um, and this podcast, uh, who do you think is the most promising star in NXT? And Kevin... Go for it, man. You know, I mean, I got to go with Nakamura right now. I mean, he just came in there and right away was just so warmly received by by everyone who recognized him from New Japan, by the people who are seeing him for the first time. He just immediately made that connection, had an amazing performance against Sami Zayn at TakeOver. And I, I mean, I think you got to give it to him. I think this is next year is going to be his year. And I'm just really looking forward to watching him. Okay. Al? Yeah, I almost feel like um, it's cheating to say Nakamura because... Yeah, it's all kind of cheap. <laughs> well, just because um, it, it's sort of preposterous that he's in NXT. Uh, and I understand why he would be, but you're talking about a guy who uh, is in the conversation right now for being one of the very best wrestlers in the world and one of the very biggest stars uh, in the world. And he's essentially in, um, and I know NXT isn't quite developmental anymore. It, it is, but but it's also treated as uh, more than that. But it just, it, it feels kind of silly talking about Nakamura as a future star, you know. Uh, but, but, but yeah, I, I, I get what uh, you're saying for sure. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit of, of a different route. And I don't know if we can choose a tag team if we're going with an act. <laughs> I would say uh, Jordan and and Gable, uh, who I think are so polished, have such an upside, um, really, uh, certainly athletically in the ring, uh, uh, just so dynamic and exciting. Um, but also, I think there's an X factor there. I think there's a personality. I think um, there's a cohesive act. So uh, as as an act, and we see... Uh, right now, uh, with Enzo Amore and and Big Cass on on WWE, uh, and uh, now uh, uh, the Bold Club and the Dudleys, it's kind of a hot time for tag teams in WWE. I think Jordan and Gable go in there and are already uh, immediately near the top or at the top of the tag team division, and um, are are just so special. If I have to pick one of the two, I'd say Jason Jordan. 
Um, but I think as an act, they're, they're maybe the best thing in NXT right now. Yeah, and again, I think this is... And I, I agree with that. I, I think that the tag team division in NXT is really pretty spectacular. Uh, you know, let's face it, I think most of NXT is pretty spectacular right now. The women's division, the tag team, the singles, you know, whatever you, you want to point at. Um, again, when this was conducted, it was right in the midst of the Nakamura hype. Uh, so Nakamura did quite well as, as well, even though... Uh, when the poll was conducted, he hadn't wrestled his first match in NXT. Yeah. Uh, but he was kind of front and center in the fans' mind, and, and that's one of the things that really shows up a, a lot in the poll. Um, this is looking ahead for next year, and uh, we're going to be tackling this one pretty soon, probably within the next month, six weeks or so, uh, the annual PWI 500. So uh, the next question is, who do you think will be number one in the 2016 PWI 500? Kevin, what do you think? I think you have to go with Roman Reigns this year. Uh, he had the two title wins, reigning champion at the time of this phone call. I can't imagine that's changing anytime soon. Uh, if you look at everybody else who would be in contention, most of them cannot qualify. In WWE, most cannot qualify for a number of different reasons. Um, and I'm not sure if there's anybody from any other promotion who would be able to make a claim for it this year. I think you have to give it to Roman. Yeah, and, uh, well, you're right, certainly with the uh, number of injuries in WWE this year. That's really kind of hurt a lot. Uh, Al, do you think it would be Roman, or do you think that this is the year maybe somebody like Okada takes number one? Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking about, but you just had Okada lose the uh, IWGP championship, so... I imagine that hurts him a bit. Uh, I think if that's, that reign was uninterrupted, uh, he'd be more of a sure thing. Now, obviously, none of us are exactly objective parties. Our our, our vote in this means more than uh, that of, of the subscribers who are taking the poll because we're going to pick this, and, and it's something that we're starting to think about. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it pains me, but, but um, I can imagine that Roman Reigns if he ends up being the choice, is not going to be the most popular choice. Um, but looking at it, you know, completely objectively, just by the criteria and by the numbers, it's hard to deny him. I mean, he's, um, I think he's got three world title reigns within the grading period, um, ha- has beat pretty much everybody there is the, uh, to beat. You know, I- I'd say it's him and Okada in that top mix, and Roman Reigns gets the edge. Who, who are some uh, dark horses that are showing up in, in this uh, category? Who are some of the dark horses? Yeah. Some of the other vote-getters. and uh, Reigns and Okada are up there. They're, they're definite leaders. Uh, some of the other ones, because and they're really, between the two of them, they count for 70% of the vote. Okay. So they're, wow. they're by far the front runners. Uh, other ones on there are uh, Dean Ambrose and Jay Lethal are two of the other guys who receive a lot of votes. And I think that's really just, you know, you know Jay Lethal is kind of the, you know, anybody but Roman vote, you know, trying to get somebody from Ring of Honor. <laughs> And uh, Dean Ambrose, just, you know, he's been healthy, and he's been a headliner. Yeah. All right, next one, related. Uh, who do you think will be number one in the female 50? Kevin, I think I know who you're going to go with, but uh, <laughs> who is it? Well, I mean, I, will have, I would have to go with Sasha Banks. Cool. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just a bias. She's, she's my favorite. I think she's made... Even without having a well, Divas title and now Women's title run, even losing uh, the NXT Women's Championship and losing a rematch, I think she has made such a big impact. Um, she really was the one who, well, I mean, no, 
all credit due to everyone else. But I think, I, I don't know, personally, she's the one who I think got everybody talking. You know, after these shows, she was just consistently involved in all these matches. She came up to the main roster. She's the one everyone wanted to see. And I, like you said, it's, it's, we talked about this when the female 50 were ranked uh, last year. And, you know, it is difficult to make a claim for someone to be the top of the female 50 if they don't have that major championship run. So again, call me biased, but that's where I am with it. Okay. Now, Al, do you agree or do you think that uh, the fact that Sasha walked out of WrestleMania empty-handed, whereas she was heavily favored to win the, the championship, do you think that hurts her chances? Or do you even think that with so many women in WWE and NXT that it could really cause an opening for somebody like Gal Kim to kind of sneak back in there, given how impressive her run has been in TNA? Um, I do think the fact that, that Sasha has been unable to win the big one uh hurts her and, and really when you look at the the totality of her year um it's something you and i dan talked about she it's it, it's uh it's not that impressive um i i mean i think she she deservingly uh or deservedly got a lot of the acclaim that that she has off of those two matches with bailey um she lost both of those and uh by the time the female 50 comes around they'll be about a year old um, and what's more, by the time the female 50 comes around, uh, if she's still on the, the, the streak that she's on now, Charlotte could have that title for a year by then. So I think Charlotte is pretty clearly the, the, the front runner to be the number one um, in the female 50. You know, I, I don't know if you, um, you guys watch UFC at all, but uh, Sasha Banks uh, uh, reminds me a little bit of Alex Gustafson, who... Uh, has been one of the the top contenders and and one of the biggest stars of the light heavyweight division. And what he's known most for is coming close to winning big matches, but hasn't won any of them and is yet to win the title. And um, I think that's kind of what what you have in Sasha Banks. I mean, and and losing spectacular matches isn't enough to uh, make you number one, I think. Kind of the old Lex Luger syndrome right yeah. there. For years, sure. Lex Luger chasing the title, chasing. and <laughs> Exactly. The Sasha you know, Express. It's a fair point, and I was just making a case that you have to give it to Roman Reigns in, in the 500. So I'm being, again, wildly inconsistent here. And I do think <laughs> that you set me up a little bit by saying, Kevin, I think I know who you're going to pick. <laughs> okay. Given the debate Maybe. that you and I had about that before. Okay, next question. Uh, this one, we actually asked all of our panelists to provide five responses. This is off the top of your head, and, and we're going out to millions and millions of people, so I know the pressure's on. Um, but as many as you would like to mention here, uh, who are your preferences for the next selections of the WWE Hall of Fame? Wow. So theoretically five people. How, how, who are the people that you, if you were in charge of that, that building, uh, that, that institution, uh, you would want to induct? Kevin? I don't know if that's something I can even answer off the cuff, to be honest. I think because that's there are a lot of consider, considerations. Yeah, to, it takes uh, a little bit of uh, research, it, I think. I, I it, will uh, say, and this is this is topical given the, the sad news that we sent out earlier today. I think China absolutely needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So you let agree. me at least put that out there. You agree, Al? China, China. I do. Um, you know, you're going to run into some issues of eye-rolling and, and disingenuousness if you put her in, um, because certainly they could have done that up until uh, this year, and uh, 
but but maybe it's it's just kind of the sad reality that the only way she was going to get uh, inducted anytime soon was posthumously. But yeah, without a doubt, um, she you know, an absolute pioneer in women's wrestling. Uh, a, a tragedy in in the true sense of the word, N- not just in death, but in life. I mean, I think she was a real kind of tragic figure, you know, and, and I think unfortunately because of, of a lot of the antics of, of the last 10 years or so, she's become something of, of a, a punchline. Uh, but when you talk about the Attitude Era, the biggest drawing uh, period for WWE, um, she was absolutely one of the faces of the Attitude Era. So yeah, absolutely, I'd like to see trying to get in there. Um, I think Daniel Bryan is is potentially a good headliner for the Hall of Fame next year, assuming everybody is on, uh, on good terms there. Uh, hmm. Lesser names, but, but people who I think in a WWE Hall of Fame um, should be in the mix. Uh, maybe Demolition, who were, yeah. I think, the, f- the first three-time tag team champions That's in WWE. Right. I think and of people like... Rick Martel, there's who's worthy, and then there's who's likely, right? The Hockey Talk Man, I mean, a very long-reigning uh, intercontinental champion, a, Did a you good drawing specifically heel. Say for, was this specifically for next year, Dan? Yes. I, I don't know how realistic it is. I would like to see Kurt Angle inducted. Yeah, um, Kurt's in the mix. You know they're going to be in Florida, and that's the Rock's backyard, and certainly he sticks out as somebody who you'd think would have been in there by now, so maybe The yeah. Rock finally goes in. Now, for me, it, it, the, the main ones that I look at are, are historical figures. Um, uh, number one, and this is somebody who, who did very well this year and last year, so there's definitely a, a following there, uh, Bruiser Brody. Um, just as somebody, I mean, you talk influential, he may have not been the greatest company guy, but he did have runs in, in McMahon's territories and the WWF and WWF. Um, Lou Fez, I mean, I don't think you can have a Well, I think Fez is now technically in. Who? who? Lou Fez, because he was in that, that legacy uh, Hall of Fame. So so by their standards, I think he's uh-huh. in now. I guess, okay, maybe that makes sense with the legacy. Well, what about, um, say, another one that I, I'd like to have, uh, Dick the Destroyer Buyer. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was good enough to go up there and uh, give the speech to induct uh, Gorgeous George a few years back. And, uh, you know, he's somebody I'd like to see get in there as well. I'm thinking the creation of that legacy Hall of Fame means that um, just about anybody from the maybe pre-80s era uh, has relatively little chance to get into the Hall of Fame proper, you know, uh, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, I'm thinking if they keep doing that, if they keep on doing a legacy Hall of Fame where they're inducting guys in sort of fell swoops six at a time, uh, guys like a Dick Byer um, and other guys from that that 70s and earlier era uh, will just going to go in and sort of in chunks, you know? Yeah, it, it's a bit Which of a is comp- unfortunate because some of those guys absolutely deserve uh, their moment in the spotlight, you know, beyond right. 10 seconds I mean- in a 30-second video. It is a pragmatic way to get them in there, yeah. though, because realistically, you're not going to see a lot of these guys take up a slot at WrestleMania when they think, oh, we're close to where this person came up, we're close to where this person lives now, this person will, you know, it's a good year to put this guy in, or this girl mm-hmm. in, and, you know, th- those slots are not going to go to guys who had their heyday decades and decades ago, unfortunately. 
But the last question I'd like to go through is, uh, uh, which is the number two wrestling brand in North America? And for years, you know, it was uh, WWE number one, TNA number two. Um, do you think that's still the case? Uh, there's been a lot of rumors about the financial stability of TNA. Um, Kevin, what would you say is uh, number two behind WWE today? In North America, well, in North America right now, I actually I think you have to give it up to ROH at that point. I don't think you can make a case for Lucha Underground because we don't know where they're going to be in a year or two. Uh, they certainly don't have the legacy that ROH has. So as far as the number two North American promotion, I mean, TNA has its problems. And again, we don't know where they're going to be, unfortunately. And Ring of Honor... You know, still doing well, in a lot of ways more visible than they were. I I can't really see a better number two than Ring of Honor as far as North American promotions go right now. And one of the interesting things with Ring of Honor too is what's really helped the the prominence of the brand is the success of their alumni from Punk to Brian to Zayn to Owens, uh, Seth Rollins. You have all these Ring of Honor guys who've gone on to have these great careers in WWE where they kind of reference Ring of Honor and some of the retrospectives and things. I think that's really helped the overall uh, reputation of Ring of Honor. Even for mainstream fans who don't really follow the indies as many, they may be more aware of Ring of Honor now than they were aware of TNA, say, in the past. Uh, Al, do you agree? Do you think Ring of Honor has uh, surpassed TNA? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it's a, a, a no-brainer. I mean, Ring of Honor... You know, they, they are light years, solar systems uh, away from WWE, uh, you know, as distant, a distant number two as you can be. But they're the only other promotion in the United States um, that is making any kind of money. Uh, and they are making money. I mean, it is a, a, a modest business model, but Ring of Honor holds live shows uh, that they sell tickets to. Um, a few times a month, maybe two to three times a month, draw probably on average 800 to 1,000 people uh, at these shows, which is very, very respectable um, and, and a lot bigger than it was just a few years ago. Uh, th they are on syndicated television selling ads that generate money for their parent company, uh, Sinclair Broadcasting, and that keeps them afloat. And, and they sell ads or, or they, they run ads on those shows uh, to their own live events so they could sell more tickets. I mean, it's a very old school wrestling business model. And at these events and through um, uh, their website or whatever, they sell merch, DVDs, shirts, and, and mm -hmm. Ring of Honor's um, fan base are, are pretty loyal. So they're buying that stuff. So you can put together um, a, a map of how they are making money, uh, right? And And when you talk about you know, the biggest promotion, the second biggest, what does that all mean? It means revenue generating. That's the only way to measure any uh, successes, any business's success or, or failure is how much money they're coming in. Now, the, the temptation for a lot of people I know is to say TNA because they are probably the second most visible um, promotion in the United States. Uh, a lot of that is just carrying over from when they were a pretty... Uh, a viable number two and had 2 million people watching them on television each week and were selling, um, you, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 pay-per-views uh, on Sunday nights and had action figures at Toys R Us and video games and were running right. house shows and, and drawing several hundred people. You know, th they were once a very viable national wrestling company, but that's completely dried up. 
And, you know, I was just thinking about this today. I don't know where any of the money is uh, in TNA right now. You know, where, where any of the revenue streams are. They are not running live shows anymore. Um, their television tapings, they, they, they tape a bunch at a time and they're free. And it, it's so unpopular that I can't imagine that they're selling very much merch and they can't sell merch at house shows because they're not holding house shows. And, uh, nobody's buying these pay-per-views that, that they run. I mean, I'd be shocked if they sell a thousand, uh, buys. And that's another revenue stream that Ring of Honor has is their, they've got standard cable live pay-per-view now. And I understand those do fairly well by, by their expectations. So uh, I can go on and on, but but I mean, I, I guess TNA's got some international TV deals. India's pretty important right. to them, and there might be a little bit of money coming in from there. But I don't see where any other money is coming in. And that, you know, gets gets to the, the headlines of this week and the talk of uh, a possible sale, um, you know. It, it's the same old song, but but things look as bad for TNA as I can remember uh, at any point in history. Yeah, agreed. And, and the problem is, you know, when things look for a wrestling company, it's bad for wrestling as a whole. It's always good to have other uh, avenues uh, for wrestlers to apply their trade and, and have healthy competition. Not that TNA is direct competition for WWE, but it does provide another place where wrestlers can go. Um, it's just a shame that the brand has been as damaged as as you know, as seriously as it has been over the past few years. And, and just um, to ex expand yeah. on that uh, again, uh, again, I, I think you have to differentiate between a visible wrestling company and a uh, successful wrestling company. And that also right. goes for Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground is on a national cable TV. They got a very slick, highly produced uh, program, looks very major league. But that's not a viable wrestling promotion. And I like Lucha Underground a lot. I think it's a good product, but... It, it's a TV show. You know, they, they spend a bunch of money uh, producing it. They have fans come and watch it for free. They tape a bunch at a time, and then they air them. But that is not a successful uh, revenue-generating uh, wrestling promotion. And, and again, by all accounts, Lucha Underground is, is hemorrhaging money, um, as is TNA. And, and that's the one thing that Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor is right now is not the sexiest promotion in the world, not loaded with top stars, but you can point to where the money's coming in, you know, and and right. that's enough to make them number two. All right, guys, this was a, a lot of fun um, to read every question of the PWI poll. And what are there, 50, Dan? 50, yes. Yeah, so we're really just barely brushing the surface here. Uh, and PWI poll. You know, I know I just sound like a salesman here, but it is a, a lot of fun. Like so many things we do, I think it's um, each year a real snapshot in time of, of what the wrestling landscape is um, and tackles questions that, you know, I, I don't think get tackled uh, anywhere else. And, and they're really thought provoking and um, again, kind of a sign of the times each year. In addition to the PWI poll in this issue, we do also write about a little card you may have heard of, WrestleMania with oh, our right, annual sure. uh, Real Winners and Losers piece, too. So we go into a little bit of analysis with the WrestleMania card and what it meant. So uh, it's really a stacked issue coming out. Yeah, and that's another, uh, again, since as far back as I can remember, uh, I've been enjoying the uh, the Real Winners, Real Losers, uh, a, a time-honored tradition in PWI. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun issue. As I said, uh, drops online May 5th, a little bit later uh, on newsstands. Uh, so go to pwi-online.com to check it out. Kevin, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Yep. Dan, thank you. Let's do it again. Yes. And let's hear from former WWE writer, TNA writer, WCW writer, the always controversial Vince Russo. Well, well, just tell me about how you got your start on radio. I used to be a, a fan of Vicious uh, Vincent. I remember uh, uh, listening. I was a fan of, of John Arezzi before that. And then when uh, I know you wow. guys uh, worked together some. And uh, then after John Arezzi disappeared, I remember tuning in and listening to Vicious Vincent. And you'd have Vito LaGrasso on all the time. Uh, uh, and it was a, a fun show. Uh, can you talk a bit about, you know, tr- the transition from, from video store owner to uh, radio show host? Well, you know, it's, it's, that's a great question because, and man, this really goes back, but it's really a lesson in history. You know, I mean, I had, um, I had two of, you know, like I got into the video business very, very, very early. And, and, um, uh, you know, my first store was in Corum, New York, and that did so successful that we opened up a second store in Lake Ronkonkoma. This is before, you know, there was a blockbuster. Yeah. So sure enough, uh, you know, Blockbuster literally uh, uh, moved in across the street from one of my stores and down the road uh, from from the other one, and um, I, I I could not compete. So the the writing on the wall, you know, I, I knew I was in trouble. Uh, you know, at the me in the meantime, I used to have wrestling promotions in my store, and I mean, I used to do them up really, really, really big. So that's how I met John Aresti. He caught wind of the wrestling promotions and he literally, you know, came in my store and asked me to, you know, advertise or sponsor on his, his radio show. Well, the next thing I know, I was more or less, you know, paying for his entire wrestling show. And I didn't have a, I didn't have an issue with that. Um, but really what I had an issue with was I, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into because at the time, you know, I was a wrestling fan, uh, you know, and I was a big fan of the WWF. I mean, that's, that's what I grew up in. And, you know, John was really, you know, one of those dirt sheet guys, you know, that, you know, he, you know, he was friends with Meltzer and Keller and those guys. And, and I remember the, uh, the steroid trial was going on at the time. And, and like, you know, these guys were just, you know, dying to see Vince McMahon, you know, put away. And, you know, they would have all, all these, you know, shows about, um, you know, I mean, um, you know, the things Pat Patterson used to do and the things the ring announcer used to do. And, you know, I mean, it was really, it was really dirt sheets back in 1991. And I was like, man, this, this is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a, you know, a fun wrestling show. And, um, that's, that's when I, you know, that's when I basically started Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling and did the wrestling radio show, you know, the way I wanted to, where, you know, we were part of the gimmick and we just did it to have fun. And we talked about the product and, uh, you know, it was more lighthearted than anything else. So that, that's how I more or less branched out on my own. Yeah, I guess it's sort of a, a different, uh, a philosophies of, of what that job was. Um, and I remember listening to Rezzy and having Keller on and those guys, and uh, they were taking a very, uh, very serious journalism approach uh, to the business, uh, which is fine. And I thought they did a, a good job with it. So, so it just kind of wasn't what you were looking for, though. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, like I said, if you go full circle, you know, 25 years later, like, it's the same exact thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really is when it comes to, um, you know, podcasting now. I mean, it's the same exact thing. You know, you got, you know, guys like, you know, Meltzer and Keller that are still taking that hard edge journalistic approach. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the entertainment aspect. I mean, I, I always wasn't. I'm basically doing the same exact thing now. Do, do you have a problem with what they do? Uh, in terms uh, of of not thinking there's a place for it, or do you think there's a place for it? It's just not your thing. I I I think there's a place for it, but I have a problem with what they do. So it, it's a little bit bit of both. And my problem with what they do is, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes they cross the line and they really affect people's lives, and that that that's the part that I have an issue with. And maybe I have an issue with it because. You know, I was on the other side. You know, I was in the wrestling business, and you know, I I, I saw a lot of mistruths, um, uh, you know, out there as far as you know stories and rumors and gossip and hearsay, and you know, and and a lot of those mistruths, you know, like really really affect people's lives, and that's just the road like that. I I don't agree with. I don't go down. Um, I'm, I'm an entertainment guy and that's what I do. So, you know, I mean, there, there is a place for, for what they do, but a lot of times I think they cross the line and that's where I have an issue. But isn't that journalism? And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but when you're talking about things like uh, a, a steroid trial and uh, a sex scandal, um, and, and right, assuming that the, the reporting is done well and the news is accurate and, and all of that, um, you know, isn't it good to have wrestling promoters and wrestlers held accountable and, and that stuff to be in, in the public eye? I mean, this wasn't just gossip for gossip's sake. I mean, at, at least those examples that you brought up, this was this was real news. This was important news. Yeah, no, it is, but they're not held accountable. That, that, that's the problem. They're, they're not held accountable. And I know, like, firsthand, you know, instances, including myself, uh, you know, where, you know, these guys have reported stuff about me, and I've called them out. I mean, it's, the, you know, some of the stuff they reported was flat out, you know, not true. And, and I've called them out on it, and not they never never retract anything, never. And that, that's where the issue is. You know, they, 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 they report things. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they miss, but there is no accountability. There is nobody keeping them accountable for what they're doing. And that, that's where the issue comes in with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this kind of alternative take that you did with your radio show, what is it now? 25 years ago. Um, is that basically what you want to do on, on podcast one? Uh, and, and, you know, there's no shortage of uh, uh, wrestling podcasts, this one included, that digs into hard news. Uh, that's not so much what you're interested in. You, you, you still want to take the, the course of something uh, a little more lighthearted? Oh, I, I absolutely. And, I mean, the difference is, you know, on podcast one, um, you know, I, I do, uh, I do my show five days a week. So it's Monday through Friday and every day has a different theme. So, you know, literally there's a different topic, uh, you know, every day of the week. So it's just, you know, it, it's, and, and I really, 
you know, like I said, I mean, I, I have one show a week that's dedicated to like, you know, the, the gossip, uh, you know, that I collect all week long by going to the other websites and, you know, and I report on that once a week. So, I mean, I do give that part of it. But then, like I said, uh, you know, every day there's a different topic. So there's always going to be something that somebody likes. Uh, just by really keeping the variety on a weekly basis. Yeah. What's the feedback been? I mean, it's no secret you are one of the more controversial figures uh, in wrestling. I imagine you've got as many detractors as supporters. Um, are, are you, it, I don't know if you're taking phone calls, uh, but I'm sure you're getting feedback. Uh, what's kind of the, the, uh, the percentage positive to negative toward you personally? I don't, I mean, I don't think there's been any, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, you get some negative feedback, but, um, man, I, I think the positive feedback has been, you know, just overwhelming. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why that I think there are a lot of people like, um, in my same position that, you know, that at one time, you know, were in the wrestling business and, you know, um, you know, right now they're, they're kind of on the fringe or on the outside looking in, but you know, there, there are other people out there that have podcasts. Well, the problem is with a lot of those people and, you know, business being business, a lot of them still have ties to the WWE. Either they have ties and are still earning some kind of a paycheck from the WWE or they're still waiting for that phone to ring, you know, that, that call from Vince McMahon to get that one last run. So I think with that being said, there are a lot of people doing podcasts who don't have the ability to be 100% honest and really say what they feel. And I mean, I literally have not only burned, you know, my WWE bridge, but I've, <laughs> blown it up. I've poured gas on it five times over because I basically made the vow to myself. Listen, if I'm going to get involved in this game and people are going to pay to get my opinion, I'm not holding anything back. I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest based on my experience and opinion. And, and I think that's one of the major, major differences with my show. You know, if it's good, I'll say it's good. But on the other hand, if it's not, I mean, I am not going to hold anything back because I don't have, you know, any ties with the WWE. I'm not waiting for my phone to ring. And, you know, literally the, the only person I work for is myself. So I, I, I think in that aspect, it really gives me a big advantage. And I think people listening to the show, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, understand and admire that, you know, and like, you know, the, the thing with, with the detractors and the haters is, you know, I might turn around and say something, you know, that I don't particularly agree with on NXT. And then all of a sudden, you know, here, here comes the whole NXT wave and, you know, they'll, they'll start, you know, sometimes they cross the line, you know, believing that wrestling is real, you know, when it's not. But then, you know, two weeks later, I may see a talent on NXT that I really, really like. And, uh, you know, I'll write a blog or I'll do a show putting them over. And then I think all of a sudden they realize 
you know, Vince just has an opinion. I mean, that's, that's really all it is. And I, I don't care if people agree or disagree with that opinion. I mean, it's not going to affect me anyway, but I think slowly but surely they are understanding, you know, that, you know, he's truthful, whether we agree with him or not. Yeah. You mentioned uh, burning bridges in, in WWE. How badly are, are those burned? I mean, I've seen you pop up on some network stuff, and I imagine that was taped a long time ago, but I didn't have a sense that there were any residual hard feelings there. Are there? There, there are no hard feelings on my, my behalf whatsoever. I know, I know they don't like the fact that I'm, you know, I don't sit there on Podcast One and, and the Realm Network and just put them over to nauseam. I know they don't like being criticized and that, that that's what it is. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's nothing, per, no, nothing in wrestling. Very rarely is anything in wrestling personal. It, it's always professional and it's always business. And I know they, they don't like the fact that, you know, Vince is the guy that calls them out and Vince is the guy that holds them accountable. But like I said, on the other side of the coin, if I think they did something really, really well, I'll put that over too. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Vince McMahon is not writing me a paycheck every week. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to just sit here and put them over because they're the powerful and mighty, you know, WWE. And I, I think that's what they have a, a hard time with. So when I call a spade a spade, and, you know, I know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I did it for 25 years. I don't think they like that. And that's when they really just start, you know, throwing cheap barbs, uh, you know, at me, you know, knowing that uh, until podcast one, I didn't have the ability to, uh, you know, defend myself because I wasn't on the same playing field as them. But I think it's a little different now. Yeah. Yeah. What? uh I mean, I'm interested in, in your assessment of, of some of the product uh, right now, and I'm sure you get into this in your podcast. Don't want to scoop you too much. Uh, uh, but, you know, kind of broad picture, uh, if you got a problem with WWE's product right now, what's the big problem? Are there several problems, or, or is there one uh, kind of obvious key thing that is, is uh, a problem throughout the company? Well, from, from where I sit and where my expertise and where my experience is, the, the, the one thing that I have a, I have such a hard time dealing with. First of all, you know, when it comes to the wrestlers per se, uh, you know, the guys and gals in the wrestling business, I mean, they, they were, no matter how much they got paid, no matter, you know, who was a huge star, these guys were always blue collar workers. And when they set foot between those ropes, they, they give all out. I mean, very, very, very rarely have I ever seen people phone it in. These guys and gals are some of the hardest workers in the world. So when, when I wrote, you know, for all three companies, my motivation was, I had such a respect for what they did in the ring. I had to live up to, to the expert expectations of delivering, you know, the other 50% of that package. And the other 50% was I had to work just as hard as they did in the ring, you know, with character development, with dialogue, with storylines, with the written word. 
I had to put in the same exact effort on paper that they were putting in in the ring. Today, that does not exist. They are still putting that effort in the ring. You know, you see all these guys getting hurt daily, but the effort putting being put in on a creative level to support these guys is, is minimal at best. And, you know, I know Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon's, you know, theory was, you know, we, we, th- this is what we're doing and you're going to eat it and you're going to like it, whether you like it or not. You know, that, that was really his, um, his attitude when it came to the fans. Well, when Ed Ferrara and myself came along during the Attitude Era, you know, no, we, we, we didn't buy that. We agonized off over every single show to make sure it was the best it possibly could be. I mean, 24-7, we, we became more or less obsessed with it. Well, today, I don't see that heart and passion and effort and work ethic being put into the shows on a creative level um, as, as we did back then. And, and I think, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, basically has the attitude, you know, of, you know, no matter what we put on there on Monday nights, you know, they're going to watch it. And unfortunately, people do. I mean, they, they, they've lost uh, uh, viewers in droves. But, you know, they, they still get that three and a half to four million people every single week, which I guess is good enough for him to drive his network. But, um, you know, to me, it's like the pride is gone because nobody can watch that show and tell me from a creative standpoint every Monday they did the absolute best that they could have done because they don't. And it's interesting because uh, you talk about there not being enough effort in creative, and I think uh, other people's criticism is that there's almost too much effort. I mean, there's, what, 25 riders or something, and, and, and so many storylines, a lot of them convoluted. Um, where, where's the disconnect there? I mean, again, if you're talking two dozen riders in a room all being paid to write storylines, uh, how, how is it that you think that there's not enough effort out of creative? Because none of those matters, none of those writers matter. There, there, there could be zero writers. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, every single creative decision is still being made by Vince McMahon. So they can have 20 writers, they can have 40 writers, they can have 80 writers. It's not going to matter. At the end of the day, a 70 year old man who literally is, listen, when I, when I worked for him, he was in his prime at 55 and at 55, I knew how out of touch he really was with society. And there's reason for that. The reason he's out of touch with society is because he's, he's wrestling, 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 wrestling is on his mind. 24 seven. He, Vince McMahon does not watch television. Vince McMahon does not go to the movies. Vince McMahon does not read TMZ or, you know, he, he, he has no idea what's going on in society. And, you know, back then, like I said, with, with, with Ed Ferrara and myself, 
we weren't afraid to, you know, I'll speak for me. I'm not going to speak for Ed. I wasn't afraid to, uh, you know, hold my own with Vince and go toe to toe with Vince when I knew I was right and he was wrong. And after a while of doing that, you know, he, 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 he built confidence in me and he more or less let me write the show. And I had my finger on the pulse of what was going on in society. It's not that way today. People are afraid of him. People are afraid of their jobs. I, I guess with age, he's gotten a bit more stubborn and it's, it's his way or the highway. But at the end of the day, the writers have absolutely nothing to do with it. He's making every single decision in that company. Would, would that attitude that you brought to WWE and to the table, you know, the, the inner circle uh, those years ago, would that work today? Or um, th does he want to be surrounded uh, by yes men? I mean, could a writer be bold, tell Vince McMahon, you're wrong, you know, your vision is... Yes, yes. It, Yep. If, if, if some, if somebody, if somebody stepped up with a set, that business could be fixed. And I'm not saying mirror the attitude era that that's, that's coming on. But like, you know, one of the things that I did, you know, especially as my career went on, you know, there, there, there were certain things I, I did in WCW until I got the, um, uh, until I got the rug yanked out from under me. Then I continued that in the early days of TNA. What I, what I was trying to do was I was trying to evolve the business, even going all the way back to 2000, you know, I was like, okay, the attitude era was great. What's, what's the next wave and where is this going? That's what I was concentrating on and, and wanted to accomplish. But, you know, unfortunately before my own eyes, I, I, not only did I see the business stop evolving, I saw it going backwards to, to the comfort zone of what a Vince McMahon knows. And at the end of the day, what Vince McMahon knows is wrestling. That's what he knows. And, you know, wrestling, uh, you know, in 2016, you can't present it the same way you presented it in 1976 because people are not going to buy it. Yeah. It's interesting that, that you apparently fell in love with wrestling in that era, right? I mean, you talk about being a fan of the WWWF, and yet uh, I think a lot of people think your vision of wrestling couldn't be more far removed from, from what wrestling was back then that, that sucked you in. I mean, do you see some of your vision, your philosophy uh, of wrestling in that wrestling that, that you fell in love with from, from the 70s? Oh, my God, absolutely. I mean, there is no question about it. And like I said, I, the, here's the thing. The foundation of wrestling should never change. It's like you build a house and you've got the foundation. The foundation of wrestling should never change. But the fringes of wrestling need to evolve. And that's all that's all uh, that's all the attitude era was listen man the first time i ever put on wrestling on television it probably 1972 1973 the first people i ever saw were the valiant brothers and lou albano and immediately i knew what the business was i got it the these are these are characters that are larger than life with great storylines i got it i understood it i loved it 
you fast forward, you know, 25 years later, 1998, there was no difference between the Valiant Brothers and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The only difference was 25 years had passed. So, you know, quite frankly, in 1998, you know, had the Valiant Brothers been on the scene, they would have been much like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I, I no doubt stayed true to the great, colorful, larger-than-life characters and the storylines, you know, that, that I remembered growing up with. I stayed true to all that. The only thing that had changed was the the way the story and the characters were presented because, you know, society was 25 years later. So that, that was really the only thing that changed, you know. And in 73, uh, you know, I, I was a big fan of people like, uh, you know, the big cat Ernie Ladd and, you know, Chief J. Strongbow. Well, you know, in 1998, you had Val Venus. You know, obviously a character like that wouldn't have existed in 1973, but in 1998, uh, you know, he, he kind of fit where society was at the time. Yeah, yeah. You touched on, on Vince McMahon being out of touch. I think uh, the, the one example that I think probably illustrates that the most in fans' eyes is Roman Reigns. And yeah, yeah. Um, this, you know, what a lot of people feel has been a failed experiment for, for the better part of two years. Uh, he's gotten mm-hmm. as as big uh, a push as anybody, you know, this side of the Lex Express and, and maybe even more than that. And clearly there's disconnect there, right? I mean, we saw it at WrestleMania. He, he won the world title in the main event um, and was booed by the better part of, of 100,000 fans there. Um, what do you see as wrong with the way they're handling Roman Reigns? Oh, my. It, it's Vince. It's Vince. It's in Vince's mind. It's, 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 it's Bruno. It's, it's Backlund. It's, you know, look at his history. He's done it over and over and over again. I was just speaking to Kevin Nash a couple of days ago, and I'll never forget this as long as I live because there's a track record. Kevin Nash was this killer who beat Bob Backlund in like eight seconds at Madison Square Garden. I was the editor at the WWF magazine at the time. Uh, Diesel wins the belt. Next thing I know, Vince wants a picture of him on the cover of the WWE magazine, smiling like a Cheshire cat. And I remember (laughs) arguing with Vince at that time saying, what are you doing? This is not the character. And Vince wanted the white bread baby face from there. It was Shawn Michaels' turn, and I remember, you know, Vince had me write every single promo for Shawn when they when they did the house show promos back then. I'm coming to the Nassau Coliseum, and I'm taking on Vader and this, that, and the other thing. And you know, Vince wanted every single promo being that white bread babyface promo, and I sat there with Shawn for hours and it was so difficult what to do and it, and it was so hard for Sean to do because he wasn't that guy after that it was the rock I'll, I'll never forget I was sitting in the office me the rock and Vince the day after the rock won the title with that corporate swerve and Vince is sitting there wanting him to go out and cut this white bread baby face promo. And Rock kept looking at me like, and like, is this guy serious? And, and, but Rock was smart enough 
uh, to, to kind of know how to get around it where, you know, Vince couldn't ignore it. Here we are with Roman Reigns. God, 25 years, 30 years later, he's doing the same exact thing because Vince at 70 years old, you know, really believes that the 1970 philosophy is going to work today and it just won't. I mean, gosh, we can look at any other television shows, popular television shows from back in that era. They would not work on TV today, but yet, you know, Vince is convinced uh, well, no, he's not convinced that the same, the same product will work. It's all he knows. It's all he knows. So there's nobody. He's repeating it over and over and over and over again. And there's nobody there with the balls to just say, Vince, this does not work in 2016. 